Girlfriend, here is your show. Girlfriended, your chance to connect with other women, especially the woman that is most overlooked, yourself. Girlfriended is all about helping you become self-aware, not self-involved. The aim is to provide information that relates to life, which leads to real connections and results in a desire to connect or care for those in need. The Girlfriended principle was born out of loss. Patty's mother was murdered, and Lisa lost her mother to cancer. This forged a bond between them that nothing could shake. And now the women want to help you in more ways than you can count every day. From the website, GirlfriendIt.com, and the movement, GirlfriendIt, here are Patty Wyatt and Lisa Jernigan on Toginet.com. Do you live with hope in your life and hope for the world? Well, I am hoping that you get your voice back for the trigger because <laughs> I kind of need you today. <laughs> you know, sometimes it can be overwhelming um, as you're searching and you're looking for hope, and just in the little things of life as well as those situations that can be totally devastating. And today we're going to be talking about hope on a couple different levels. I'm, you know, just personally trying to find hope through the situations and also as we just look around in, in our world and we see so much devastation and loss and darkness, we go, is there, is there hope in the world? So with our two guests today, we're going to get two different perspectives on hope, and we're really excited about that. But before we get too far into our show, you are listening to Girlfriend at Radio with Patty Wyatt and Lisa Jernigan, where we rally you to do the remarkable through resources and relationships. And we're going to have more information about today's show and other tips and tricks on our website at girlfriendit.com. And you can follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Okay, well, I have another question to ask you. Are you the type of person when you get on a plane that you immediately put your earbuds in or do you have a conversation with the person next to you? And I know, Patty, you and me, we sometimes um, when we're traveling, you know, we've had some really amazing conversations with people sitting next to us in planes and actually got some great leadership tips that we have taken into a conference or whatever. Well, I got to tell you, um, I was recently sitting on a plane um, just last month on my way to Washington, D.C., and it happened to be the Monday after the Super Bowl when the Super Bowl was in Arizona. And so our flight was packed, and it was packed with um, fans that had come out for the Super Bowl. Some were happy going back home, and some were not so happy, but most of them were the Patriot fans. And then we also had a lot of politicians sitting on our flight. And I happen to be sitting Twinkie, which I find myself in quite often. (laughs) Yes, you do. Yes. My daughter was on one side and um, I I was sitting next to this gal and um, I just, you know, I kind of in the commotion of the plane and everybody, you know, jerseys and everything else going on. I just I asked her a, a couple of questions and it led to just an amazing, I think, almost three hour conversation. And I think I was probably guilty of interrogating her because I just kept asking questions, which I love to do. And it was one of those conversations that uh, every time I'd ask a question, it was like peeling an onion back because it'd go deeper and deeper. And finally, I realized I was interrogating somebody really significant that has a really high rank in law enforcement. And so I thought, hmm, I need to, you know, <laughs> but she was delightful. So our first guest is Beth Kempshaw, and um, she has since become a good friend. And it was just an amazing conversation. The time went by so fast. I loved every single moment. But it was like, it was one of those, I can't even do justice to um, introduce her because of what she does. And in fact, um, she's on her way in a couple of weeks to go uh, testify and present before the Senate uh, in D.C. So she's one of those, her world is just it's one of those on a, on a large scale, but yet she is so personal and cares so much about 
you know, each person and just doing and bringing hope into a darkness. And she works in the area of drug enforcement. So I'm going to read a little bit about Beth because there's so much here. And um, I just want you to understand who we're talking to today. Beth has served as the executive director of the Arizona High Intensity Drug Trafficking Area, which is called HITA, since January of 2011. Um, the Arizona HITA coordinates and supports the efforts of more than 636 sworn law enforcement officials from 70 agencies to target the most significant drug trafficking and money laundering organizations impacting Arizona. Um, Beth was selected back in 2007 um, is a special agent in charge of the Phoenix Field Division for the Drug Enforcement Administration, which is, encompasses the entire state of Arizona. She was responsible for the division's daily enforcement operations, drug diversion investigations, and administration of the DEA policy. Well, Beth began her career with the DEA in 1984 as a special agent in the Las Vegas di District Office, where she worked as an undercover agent in several major drug investigations. And I, I got to tell you, when we were talking and um, on the flight, and she was telling me about these different things and the different people, and names like cartel, president of the country, all these things were coming in our conversation, and it was fascinating. So I am really excited to introduce my friend Beth, and um, she actually stopped into an office in southern Arizona so she could do our show. So Beth, welcome to Girlfriend It, and thank you for joining us. Oh, thank you very much, and it, it's a real honor and a pleasure to be with you. And, and Lisa, your interrogation skills rival any of those that, of the agents that have worked with me in the past. I was really impressed. <laughs> well, right, Beth, I, I have to tell you a story, Beth, that um, just so you know what an honor it is to, to have you on the show, that um, <laughs> this is who you're talking to. My my dad is, um, he, he's a retired highway patrolman. He was in narcotics. I mean, it, he's just an amazing man, a neat, godly man. And um, at one point, and in our season of life, um, after my mom was murdered, he was fighting for a bill, uh, the Nyla Lynn bill, so that way um, victims, you know, family members could actually speak and have a say in the sentencing. And so we were at the Capitol, and there's cam. You know how that is, since you're you're going there. There's you know the CNN, all these cameras. You're you're looking at all the senators. My dad sitting at the main table. He grabs the coaster. And I think they're cardboard coasters, but he literally turns around and he, you know, his microphone's right there. He turns around with the coasters and looks at my sister and I and says, put this in your purse. <laughs> <laughs> I will never forget that. It's like, okay, you're my like hero. And here you are, you know, as a cop saying, um, here, steal this from the Capitol, please, because <laughs> we want, I guess he wanted a, a little souvenir. So That's my kind of guy. <laughs> I just had to share that story. I knew you would appreciate it. And I'm sure your dad's going to appreciate that, too. Yes, he will. He will. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, I want to go into our first question, Beth, and, um, and, and it's kind of a lengthy one, but it's you had so many different levels and like what parents need to know and about the drugs that are out there. And um, and it's just it can be overwhelming. But law enforcement, it, as it continues to do all it can from a criminal law standpoint, um, you know, conducting investigations, making arrests and seizures. But 
What else, um, from your point of view, needs to be done to help decrease the drug use, the addiction, and the crime that results from, um, you know, the opiate and the heroin use, which is an epidemic, and it's affecting so many um, of our schools, and we are so oblivious to a lot of this as just ordinary citizens, And but yet there's a whole other world around us. So can you just kind of enlighten us a little bit on this? Sure, I'll, I'll be glad to. If you'll let me tell you a, a little bit of a story first to help make the point that we that I want to get to is before I started with DEA, I came from a very small town <clears throat> that was, you know, Mayberry RFD, and I had never been exposed to, to drugs. I didn't know much about them, and when I joined the Drug Enforcement Administration, I went to Las Vegas with the idea that I was going to make a difference, that I was going to be able to arrest all the drug dealers, and I was going to be able to make a community much safer. Mm -hmm. And so I started doing the undercover work, and, and I would arrest people, and I'd be all excited that I made a difference in that community. And two weeks later, there's another guy on the street corner selling the same drugs. And I said, there's more to this drug problem than just arresting the bad guys that are selling the drugs. Mm. So I quickly learned over the years that Law enforcement needs to make sure that it's partnering with those that are educating our community about the dangers of drugs and drug abuse. And so we need to work together to really have that impact. And so I think it's important that parents really work to make sure they understand what the drug problem is. You know, you just can't rely on your children telling you what's going on because if they're getting involved in drugs, they're not going to tell you what's going on. So you need to make sure as a parent you're reading the websites with the Drug Enforcement Administration or anywhere you can to gather information about what drugs are trending and what the harmful effects of those drugs are. So to really eradicate the drug problem, we have to teach people about the dangers of drugs because the drug cartels are looking for those vulnerable individuals and trying to get them hooked on drugs, and that's why that way they will have someone, a customer, for their product forever. And, and so I think that's what we really need to strive to do and do a better job of educating our communities about the dangers of drugs. Absolutely. Well, and I know that you go and, and you speak to, like, parents and to um, helping them become aware. What are some things as parents we need to know um, that's going on? Like you said, the kids aren't going to tell us because they're using it, the ones that are using it. Um, what are some things that we need to be aware of? Because, you know, with so many states now making, you know, like marijuana legal, um, what it, just thoughts on all of that. Okay, what, one of the biggest things parents need to know is that you have to be careful in your own home. Because right now, the biggest trend that I am seeing from my perspective is that our parents are, are, are you know, we are having surgeries more often now, and our doctors are prescribing, you know, painkillers for us to get through those painful surgeries, knee replacements or whatever it might be. And we don't take all those pills because we don't like to do that, and so we just leave them in our medicine cabinet. Well, these pills are what the children in high school and middle school are getting their hands on. These are oxycotton, hydrocodone, and those are depressants, and they are very addictive. And what happens when you become addictive, each pill that is sold on the street can be 80 to $120. So very quickly, the children and the high school students cannot afford this habit. 
And so what the cartels have done is they understand that the prescription drug epidemic has created individuals that are so dependent on depressant drugs. So what, is, what can they do to capitalize on that? Heroin is a depressant. It mirrors the effects of Oxycontin and hydrocodone. So they started marketing heroin to our children, and heroin is much cheaper. For about $10, you can get a hit of heroin and get the same effects as you can get from one pill of Oxycontin that costs $80 to $120. So parents need to be aware that their own homes, they have to be careful what they have laying around. And they also need to watch for change in behavior in their children because once you become addicted or start abusing drugs, you know, things are going to change. You're going to be less likely to talk to your parents. Your friends are going to change. You are going to start behaving differently. Your Beth, schoolwork is going to suffer. Take a break. Take a break. We'll come right back. This is Girlfriended on Togginet. Don't forget to tell your friends to check it out on Girlfriended.com. It's time to discover it, connect it, propel it, Girlfriend it. And we'll be right back with more Girlfriended Radio right after these. My husband and I were in youth ministry and knew nothing about church planning. But as we felt God leading us to start a new church, we were connected with Stadia. They gave us coaching and personal care, giving us the confidence that we needed. They even have a ministry called Bloom that's designed to support me as a lead planner spouse. We now lead a church in Cleveland, Ohio that's transforming lives, and we couldn't have done it without Stadia. Stadia brings people and churches together to transform lives and communities through church planting. For more information, go to stadia.cc. No, celebrating New Year's Eve started in Babylon 4,000 years ago. The most common New Year's resolution in those days was to return borrowed farm equipment. Most Americans do make at least one resolution, usually related to health and fitness. But making a New Year's resolution stick is difficult if you're a mumpsimus. That's a person who obstinately clings to a bad habit. For many of us, New Year's resolutions seem to go in one year and out the other. Most New Year's resolutions fail by January 20th due to kinetophobia. That's the dislike of change. Call me a crusty gripes, but my New Year's resolution is to stop hanging out with people who ask me about my New Year's resolutions. It's words you never heard. I'm Carolyn Davidson, and Words You Never Heard has been brought to you by the Bariatric Surgery Center of Dallas. Welcome back to Girlfriended Radio, a chance for you to let your hair down, curl up with a mug of whatever you love, and have some nice girl talk. It's Girlfriended, the radio show on toginet.com. And now back to the show with your hosts, Patty and Lisa. Well, welcome back to our show and our conversation with Beth Kempshaw, who is the director of HITCA, which is the Arizona High Intensity Drug Trafficking Area. And there is so much we could say about Beth and her significant career in law enforcement. She's been an undercover agent. She's been um, a drug enforcement 
task force. I mean, there's so many layers and I don't want to keep talking because I wanted you to finish um, conversation. We were talking about trends and, and things parents can look for in, in their students. And when we were going into commercial break, you were telling us like when parents to things to notice about their child, their behavior will change if they start becoming, you know, like either on heroin or prescription drugs and being aware of what we have even in our medicine cabinet. So can you continue with that? Just like what are some changes in behavior to look for? Where would parents go to, to learn? What, and what would they do next steps? And um, then also I'm going to put out all these questions, Beth, and you can just keep talking. Uh, recently on the news here in Arizona, there was a um, kind of a buzz for something called marijuana wax. And that seems to be kind of trending. So I'm going to let you just talk about all of that. Well, and I'm going to interrupt there, Lise. Um, I have a question too, Beth. I just recently heard um, a gal was saying exactly what you were talking about. She had no idea that her medicine cabinet, that her teenagers had friends over and she hadn't, you know, been looking in her medicine cabinet for, you know, weeks to even check to see that her pills were gone. Like you said, you keep the um, the bottle in there and she went to go throw all of it away and she realized when she grabbed it, there weren't any pills in the bottle. And um, she had found out there's a, uh, it's called a Skittle party and they take all the pills and they just throw it in a bowl and you just take whatever pill. Have you heard of this? I, I just can't yeah. imagine. So kids, yeah, isn't that really pills? isn't that really frightening? Because when we take our pills, we want to make sure the doctor has told us exactly what we're supposed to take it with, and that we're not mixing it with other medicine that we've taken or alcohol, and you take it with food when you're supposed to. So we're very careful with the prescription drugs that we get. Well, our children think because a doctor has prescribed this medicine that it's okay, and so mm -hmm. what they've been doing is they've been going and stealing medicine out of their parents' medicine cabinets, and they have what they call Skittle parties or farming parties. And mm. what they'll do is they'll take everything from, you know, uh, Oxycontin to birth control pills to anti-anxiety medicine to you name it, and they'll throw all these pills into a bowl and they'll sit around and just grab a handful and start taking pills. Yeah. And it, it is when you stand, stand back and think about it, how frightening is that? that our children may be mixing an anti-anxiety medicine with Oxycontin and then drinking alcohol on, on top of it, and the mm. consequences are devastating. So parents really need to be careful with what they've got in their medicine cabinet, and they need to take steps to protect their children from it because there's a lot of peer pressure in, in, in schools, in high school and in middle school, and we just need to give our our students and our children the tools to be able to say no. And if they, if they don't have the pills in the house, then they can say, I don't have any in my house. I can't bring anything to the party. And then they're usually not allowed to go to the party. But you just have to help your children, give them the resources to be able to say no. You know, mm -hmm. There was a, a high school that I used to uh, be associated with, and they were considering using drug testing. And my com comment on that was, Whatever it takes to give your child a tool to say no, because the peer pressure is so great to say yes. So that's what the parents need to be thinking of. How can they arm their children to be able to withstand the peer pressure to make bad decisions? Mm. Wow. That's a good point. 
That's a great and, point. And Lisa, you were asking about the marijuana, and you know, I've got a lot of concerns about the the attitudes towards marijuana and where it's trending, and and the change in the uh, attitudes I've seen recently is, you know, I. I'm very compassionate for people that are suffering from illness, and I never want to keep any drugs away from them that will help them through this troubled time. But changing the attitude on a drug that to be used recreationally that will permanently change the brain, the way your brain operates and how your brain feels pleasure, you know, I've got real concerns with that because I've seen it over my last 30 years being involved in drug law enforcement that marijuana is a gateway to using other drugs because once you start having to use chemicals to feel good about yourself or to make yourself feel a certain level of pleasure, that that pleasure that you receive from that first marijuana joint that you smoke, in the future, it's not going to suffice. You know, and many of people of our generation say, oh, you know, I used marijuana when I was in high school, and I'm just fine, and I'm not addicted to it. Well, today's marijuana is so different than what was being abused in the 60s. The THC content, and that's what makes marijuana a, a, a drug that uh, impacts our pleasure sensors and makes you feel euphoric and gives you that high, well, it is so much more potent today than it was in the 60s. In the 60s, it may be 5 or 6% THC. I've seen upwards of 35% THC now. So the drug that the parents today may have experimented with is not the drug that the children are experimenting with now. And it's even getting worse. Uh, Lisa, you mentioned uh, the, about the marijuana wax. What that is, is through a chemical process, they extract the cannabinoids out of marijuana. That's the THC. That's what makes it, you know, the generate the high. This, through this chemical process, they extract those cannabinoids, and it makes the THC content even higher than before. And it's much more dangerous than simply smoking the joint. And now our children are getting involved with this hash oil or wax. And I'm so concerned about the future of our children because if we as adults are saying that marijuana is not that bad, what's going to keep them from staying away from it? You know, I would want my children to be happy and experience pleasure because of the day that they're having, because of the the Mm -hmm. friends that they're interacting with, not because I'm smoking a joint of marijuana. Okay, so what what part of the... I mean, I, I, I've heard so many arguments on this that um, that it isn't the, the THC is not addictive. Um, so what is the dangerous part? Is it the behavior of marijuana that leads you to heroin and other addictive drugs? Or what is the argument that parents can say when kids are saying it's, it's no different than drinking alcohol? Well, I think what's so important, Patty, is is that we get the accurate information. And, and to do that, there's several websites I would recommend the parents go to. Um, there's a website here in Arizona um, called Marijuana <laughs> Harmless Think Again. And there is the um, DEA's website, which is DEA.gov, or the ONDCP.gov website. And ONDCP is the Office of National Drug Control Policy. They give accurate information about what is addictive in marijuana, how does the 
what does the science tell us about the addictive qualities? Because I think what, what we get so in, uh, lured into hearing is that you hear comments from people. You hear, ah, oh, you know, I smoked marijuana for 20 years and I never got addicted. Or, yeah. you know, I, I did such and such and it never happened to me. What I think you need to pay attention to is just not rumors and personal experiences. You need to look at the science. And on these websites that I gave you, there is the science. I heard a fascinating uh, speech by a scientist, a research scientist, and he walked through how the THC attaches itself to the components of your brain, and it changes the way the components of your brain talks to one another. And when it, when it changes that series of conversations within your brain, it changes forever the way you will feel pleasure. And, you know, I'm not a scientist, and I don't want to, uh, you know, indicate that I know all the science, but I can tell you, having been in this business for as long as I was, I was blown away by his uh, speech and his information that he was provided. And, and some of those talks are on the websites that I mentioned. But, yes, marijuana, is it, it can be very addictive. You know, some people smoke cigarettes, and they could put it down and never be addicted to it. Other people could not. Some people can drink alcohol and never become addicted to it, and others can. Are you willing to risk that possible addiction to marijuana and the impact it's going to have on the rest of your life? I'm not. Right. Mm -hmm. Well, and you see so many of the ripple effects, even, um, you know, trying to control this and get the word out. Um, so just as we have like two minutes, Beth, until we have to, to take a commercial break, what is it that you just want to leave um, us knowing? Is there something like a trend or is there the hope in all this? And we, we really need to rally together and as parents not put our heads in the sand, but really have conversations and, and be more educated and even asking our kids questions. So is there like even questions to ask, um, you know, our kids and, and just to be looking around? How can we be more aware? I, I, I think there is a lot of hope, Lisa, and, and I'm excited uh, because if there wasn't hope after 30 years, I would be pretty uh, pretty sad. And I'm, I still get up every morning excited because we are rallying together, law enforcement, treatment, and prevention, and we're getting out there and spreading the word better than we ever have in the past. And as long as parents and students are being educated about the dangers of illicit drug use, we're going to make a difference. It's going to be a better place without drugs telling us when we're happy and when we're sad. It's going to be that we're enjoying life that we've been given by God. Mm, I, that is so great. Um, and that is, such, that is an, an encouragement, and we need that because it is, it is so bleak sometimes when you look around and you think this is overwhelming, and, and it seems like you know you just see the effects and you know, the news because the news highlights that and just the fear. But it is each person doing their part, like what you're doing, um, to, be on, to be on the front line, to be behind the scenes, whatever, if everybody's doing their part and getting their voice out. Well, Beth, thank you so much for joining our show. How can people find out? Give us a, a website again where people can get more information. Like I said, we'll put it on our website. Okay, if you go to uh, Marijuana Harmless Think Again, that's a website that can tell you all the facts about marijuana, or you can go to the ondcp.gov, and there's a whole section on the education and prevention efforts. 
Thank you so much for joining our show. And we're going to be right back with our next guest, Halo Matzel. And we're going to hear another message of hope. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you, Beth. We'll be right back. This is Girlfriended on Togginap. Don't forget to tell your friends to check it out on Girlfriended.com. It's time to discover it, connect it, propel it, Girlfriend it. And we'll be right back with more Girlfriended Radio right after these. We were thriving in a youth ministry when God clearly called us out of our Bible Belt comfort zone to plant a church in California. Stadia's 90-plus percent success rate gave us all the confidence we needed. They also cared for us through amazing support networks to encourage us like Bloom, a -a one-of-a-kind ministry for planters' wives. It's here I find deep friendships with like-minded gals who want to change lives. Stadia brings people and churches together to transform lives and communities through church planting. For more information, go to stadia.cc. This is the Tokenet Radio Network, radio with a cutting edge. Mark Lipinski is coming to Toginet. It's Creative Mojo with Mark Lipinski. A live two-hour show Wednesday afternoon starting at 3, 2 central on toginet.com. Creative Mojo. It's fun, entertaining, informative, inspirational, and illuminating. Lipinski has worked on such shows as Oprah, The View, The Joan Rivers Show, and Ricky Lake. He's busy, but he's got the drive to share with Creative Mojo, dedicated to the modern crafter and crafting lifestyle. Dive into the info and enjoy everything from celebs to entertainment news to recipes, quilting and needlework, knitting, painting, woodworking, Christmas crafts, and so much more. This show boldly encourages you to discover and harness your own creative spirit by living creatively every day. For more on Mark and the show, check out marklepinski.com. Don't miss the fun. It's Creative Mojo with Mark Lipinski. Wednesday afternoon starting at 3, 2 central on toginet.com. Welcome back to Girlfriended Radio, a chance for you to let your hair down, curl up with a mug of whatever you love, and have some nice girl talk. It's Girlfriended, the radio show on toginet.com. And now back to the show with your hosts, Patty and Lisa. Halo Motzell thought her relationship with God was as good as it could get. As a busy stay-at-home mom and devoted devoted wife, she would have described her life as beautiful. Then one Friday afternoon, her life changed. In her new book, Halo Found Hope, a memoir, Halo shares how her life went from planning ahead for the weekend to relearning basic skills after being diagnosed with a rare brain tumor. What's most remarkable is not what she endured physically, but how she grew spiritually. So welcome, Halo. How are you today? I'm doing great. It's nice to meet with you, um, Lisa and Patty. Well, it is so nice to meet with you. And um, obviously, you have gone through this, this whole diagnosis, relearning basic skills, and now you're able to have this great conversation to all of our listeners out there. So we just have to start out by asking you what what has happened? What is your story here from that, that Friday afternoon that changed your life? Uh, it's a long story. It's, it's, it's one that um, 
I learned how vast and amazing God is. His mm-hmm. affections um, are incredible. And I remember that day of diagnosis uh, walking in, and I, I was going in to have my hearing checked, and I had ringing in my ear. And hindsight, I would have noticed that there were other strange symptoms, but I wasn't paying that much attention to those at the time. Um, but I remember walking in and I'm um, asking my doctor, hey, I've, I've got my to-do list. I've got a husband to go home and hug. I've got kids. I've got a weekend planned. I'm busy. Um, he says, Halo, let's check out your hearing and ordered an MRI study of my ear. And I said, let's get it done. i got to go. And, and so three hours later, I sat back in the waiting room and still busy with my to-do list. And the nurse called me back. And she was quiet, more quiet than she had been in the past. But we walked back, and I walked into the exam room. And to my surprise, there were two doctors instead of one. Mm. And my ear, nose, and throat doctor looked at me and said, uh, Halo, this has nothing to do with your ear. You have a tumor the size of a golf ball that's resting over the main artery in your brain. Mm. And we need to get it out ASAP. You have an appointment with a neurosurgeon on Monday. Wow. My to-do list dropped to the floor, yeah. and I'm now in a state of shock. I asked him to get my dad on the phone. He's a retired physician, so that he could take notes because I had a feeling wasn't going to understand anything they were talking about. Mm-hmm. And so the three of them started talking, and I pulled myself away, although still in the room with three doctors. I felt alone. Mm-hmm. And that stopped as soon as I said, God... Hold on to me tight. Don't let go. I'm afraid. And then I'd hear him say, Halo, trust me. And I'd say, I'm afraid. There's part of me that's doubting that you're going to stay with me. And then God said again, Halo, will you trust me? And then my parents came to pick me up. I went home. My husband um, bolted out of work, got home, gave me a hug, said, Halo, let's go up to our room. We sat down. He said, Halo, let's pray. In a state of shock, it's sometimes hard to speak and really say all that much. So after my husband held me and prayed, he said, your turn, Halo. And all I could whisper was, God, please make something beautiful out of this. Well, and you know, I can't even imagine those moments when it's like, it's, it's got to be like, you know, surreal, like, okay, this can't be happening. I read about this in books. I see this on TV. This is not my life. And I, it's easy to go through life and think we're so immune. I know I do. I live that way going, it's not going to happen to me. And, and then when you get that, like you said, you walk back in a room and there's two doctors and you know, and, and, you know, intuitively, this is not good. Um, and just trying to, in that moment, the flood of emotions has just got to be um, overwhelming with that. And like you said, you drop your to-do list because suddenly nothing else matters. And I think that's, you know, in life, it's like even just looking at our daily life. And it's like, sometimes we just have to think beyond to go, what really matters in life? And though we might not always have that, um, you know, an extreme diagnosis like that, it's like, it's in a wake-up call to go, really, what matters in our life? Is it all these little to-do lists? So you get this diagnosis, and 
how, you know, how sweet that you guys, you know, you and your husband are praying. Like you said, you don't even have the word sometimes and don't know what to do. Um, how did you, from that point, like, you know, walking into going, okay, I have to face Monday now, um, surgery unknown. So what kind of walk us through that? Yeah. After diagnosis and that, um, simple prayer, (laughs) every day that went by, I mean, that was a Friday and then there was that Saturday and that Sunday and that Monday. And we held off on sharing all the details with my children, our children, until we met with a neurosurgeon on that Monday because we just wanted to know more before we shared it with them. And I think I hugged my children more than they've ever been hugged before that entire weekend, and I think they were puzzled as to why I was doing so. And watching them play and interact with my husband and sit at the dinner table and us, you know, play with the dogs outside and all the things that we would do, although I loved watching them, it also scared me because I thought, is this the last time I'm going to watch them you know, play football. Is this the last time I'll see my daughter sitting at the piano? And those things were difficult. I think my fear was not so much um, surrounded around where am I going to be if God chooses to call me home. I knew that I would go to heaven, and there's a lot of peace found in that. What scared me is what about my husband? Who's going to love him? the way I do? Who's going to take care of my children? Is this, I don't want to miss out on graduations, the first marriage, the first child, the first, and that's what made the weekend so hard. And I would have moments where I was sitting with them and, you know, I I wanted to be brave and strong because I wanted to see, have them see the courageous side of me. And I quickly learned that the only way for me to be courageous in this time of horrific news was to lift it up to God at times, minute by minute. And I would sometimes find myself sitting at the table and I'd just say, excuse me, uh, mom's got some praying to go do. (laughs) And I'd run upstairs and I'd sit and sob and let it go and say, God, take the reins on this. And trusting God in something that difficult isn't easy, but it's when I did trust him, it got easier. And then as the days approached and that You know, that following Monday came, and then I was admitted for surgery in a week's time frame. And I was told that uh, my recovery would be two weeks, uh, the longest my neurosurgeon ever had a patient in the hospital in 29 years of practice was six days. Mm -hmm. So I anticipated six days of hospital stay, um, TLC for two weeks when I got home. We shared the story with my family, the kids, and um, what was about to happen. And... Then I was admitted, and um, the first night they did preparatory procedures, and I thought, this is, this is okay, I, I can do this. And I think it's that moment when I'm on a gurney rolling in, and I look behind me, and there's my family. And I'm locking eyes with them to the point where I'm stretching my neck over the gurney and saying, oh, can I see you, can I see you still? And then they're gone. And then the doors behind me click shut. I'll never forget that noise. And the transfer assistants pull me in, put me on a big plastic board, transfer my body onto the operating table. And I'm whispering, I love you, Rich. I love you, Lauren, Jordan, Austin, my parents, till I couldn't speak anymore. 
And then I say, I love you, God. And I fall asleep. That's what anesthesia does. But it's odd then to wake up, you know, to go in the hospital in January and wake up several weeks later and then look at myself and say, what just happened? Mm. So you didn't wake up, you're saying, for several weeks? Right? Yeah, well, what happened was is um, typically when a physician does something of this magnitude, they won't always wake up a patient out of anesthesia right away. But my neurosurgeon wanted to make sure that everything was okay. And I don't remember this, but he, um, right after surgery, they, as soon as they could, brought me out of anesthesia to make sure that I was still okay and no significant damage had been done to my brain. And so, you know, it was the halo count from one to 10. Uh, what's your name? I knew what my name was. I got halo down, apparently. And how old are you? I had no idea. Where are you in the hospital? Um, but then what happened, because my brain tumor was rare, um, I've diagnosed brain tumors one in two million, and you touch it, it's like touching poison ivy. So mm-hmm. my brain began to dangerously swell. The beautiful part of the neurosurgeon having brought me to is my family got to see that I was okay. And in the weeks that followed, it, it gave them some hope that mm-hmm. I would be okay. Mm-hmm. Um, but my brain began to swell dangerously. I was first in a drug-induced coma. Then I went into my own and um, frightened my family. That, yes. That, that, well, um, we just have like about a minute before we're going to take a break. And there's so, there's so much here, um, you know, as, as, as I'm listening and, you know, just, you know, fear, doubts, um, priorities, all these words come to mind because you're faced with reality and the uncertainty of life, which we all live with each day, but it's something, it doesn't scream for our attention. Like when you've been, you know, told you have brain cancer and you're, and you're about ready to go in. Um, for surgery and you know you you don't know your world is literally turned upside down and what do you do and how do you sort through emotions and I just remember um, several years ago when my mom was diagnosed with cancer and it was apparent that you know God wasn't going to give her a, a physical healing and I just remember knowing I actually had you know an opportunity to be able to talk to her at the end and I remember thinking what do I want her to know? What is the most important thing I want her to know? Um, and, and I want to say, and it was hard to, you know, really come up with really what matters when you're, you know, when, when your final words, your final thoughts. And I think, you know, that has been um, something I just have always remembered going into, you know, what do you leave with people? What really matters in life? What really matters about the relationships? And what do you want people to know? And um, I think sometimes, that, you know, those, those moments in life that we, we don't want them, we don't wish for them, they really can be defining positive moments of hope. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. Continue our conversation about hope. We'll be right back. This is Girlfriend on Togginet. Don't forget to tell your friends to check it out on GirlfriendIt.com. It's time to discover it, connect it, propel it, Girlfriend It. And we'll be right back with more Girlfriend It Radio right after these. 
My husband and I have always wanted to plant a new church. After 10 years, God finally affirmed that in us. We thought we were on our own. We never imagined that there was an organization that could partner with us. That's when we got connected with Stadia. They have incredible systems in place to support our family, including a network designed specifically for me, the spouse of a church planner. We could have never done it without Stadia. Stadia brings people and churches together to transform lives and communities through church planting. For more information, go to stadia.cc. When adventure and excitement beckon, where do you go? Sometimes a world of wonders closer than you think. If you're looking for something fun or something cool and unique, come check out the city of Kilgore, Texas. Their historic Main Street features amazing shopping and dining experiences in their down-home atmosphere. Visit the world's richest acre or go see the oil museum and relive the glory days of Kilgore's oil-rich past. For family fun and wonderful touring experiences, visit Kilgore. It's It's dynamite dynamite in a a small package. package. Brought to you by the City of Kilgore and Kilgore's Main Streets Project. Welcome back to Girlfriended Radio, a chance for you to let your hair down, curl up with a mug of whatever you love, and have some nice girl talk. It's Girlfriended, the radio show on Toginet.com. And now back to the show with your hosts, Patty and Lisa. Well, we are talking about hope today and finding that hope as Halo Metzel has found that hope during her, um, just a tragic scenario that took place in her journey. Uh, She led a charmed life until receiving a shocking diagnosis in 2011 of a rare brain tumor sitting over the main artery in her brain. And Halo, just like you saying, it it was like poison ivy on your brain. I've never heard that uh, (laughs) illustration. That's amazing. And you you have detailed your painful diagnosis. You've gone through the risky surgery and miraculous recovery in your memoir, Halo Found Hope. And we're going to talk about that later on where our listeners can find your book. But you are so passionate about helping those who face various challenges and afflictions um, and truly discovering where true hope is found. And we all know where that hope is found. And yet just to be able to have the tools in moving forward and finding that hope. And I I have to ask you, uh, just this last week, I had a dear friend from college. um, Same thing. Friday, she found out she was... um, uh, going to go into surgery on Monday for ovarian cancer. And um, just in talking, this has just all been going on, this chaos, this whole week. Um, I just want to ask you, what are the things not to say when you're going through this tragedy? I think as Christians, we have a lot of cliches. And I know um, when I went through a tragedy, what I didn't like to hear, even though we know God orchestrates everything, but when Mm -hmm. you're going through it, I didn't like to hear this is God's perfect plan (laughs) because you're like, no, I don't know that that doesn't help. (laughs) Yes. Or God is growing you or so what were the things that you heard? Because it's so good for, for our listeners who haven't gone through that severe, you know, tragic situation. Um, you kind of get into just quoting scripture to people and sometimes it's not the right time. So what were some of the things that you heard? You just thought, you know what, that's not what I want to hear right now. Yeah, I will share some things that I heard and then some things that helped. Um, you know, I would hear, when's it coming back? Mm. And that, that was one that just stunned me. (laughs) That's, That's not the right question to ask. Um, 
Or, uh, strangely enough, what sin did you uh, commit that so that, you know, is this punishment? And my response is, God doesn't punish, he loves. Mm. Um, When people would say things that didn't help or hurt, my response often was, um, that that's not helpful. I uh, need to stop talking about it now, and I'll I'll just pray for you. Wow. I found with, you know, I have a friend who had colon cancer stage four, um, a friend who had multiple miscarriages, a friend going through depression, breast cancer. And I would say to those friends, look, I love you. God loves you even more. And I promise you right now, I'm not going to bring this up, not because I don't care, but because I do. Mm-hmm. You see, you need to have some normal moments also. You need to bring it up when you are ready. Um, because normalcy, especially in those days right before you face surgery or right after diagnosis, you just need it. And sometimes what we really need is a quiet friend who will sit next to us. Mm-hmm. And, you know, scripture will obviously help. It's God, it's it's the perfect love letter ever written, and God knows how to speak to us through it. And there are countless times when I would just open it random and and read. Um, But I I found that the closest friends I had were those who came along my side and just said, Halo, I, I will love you gently. Tell me what you need. Tell me when you want advice or if you don't. And if I start to give it, tell me when to stop if it doesn't help. And I love that where you're just saying, I don't, I don't have words. I don't Mm -hmm. know what to say. Um, Mm -hmm. So just know I I'm here kind of like Job's friends who just sat there on the porch for days and days and days and days. And sometimes just being there and that presence of, Hey, I'm here, even though I don't have the words to share because I, I am horrible because I have a tendency for humor, um, just because when I'm hurting, that's the way I deal with it and it can be inappropriate. Mm-hmm. So sometimes it's better for me just to sit there and bite my tongue and not, and not say anything. So, well, I, humor, you can ask me later or you can answer it now. Humor is actually a, a really good thing, but for me, humor came after I came home, mm-hmm. um, and started the rehabilitation process, learning how to walk, talk, eat, think, and function again. And, God gave us a sense of humor for a reason, and it, it was a beautiful coping mechanism for me because, believe me, I needed it. And I have a cute story that I can share with you on that. Oh, you have to share. Okay. So <laughs> my husband and I have an absolutely beautiful marriage. We've been married for 25 years. We're going on year 26 in April, Aww. and I adore him. But with short-term memory loss issues and fatigue, what would happen is I would forget when we had been intimate not to insult his talent. But I couldn't remember. And it could have been five minutes ago, half hour ago, three hours ago. And we went to interview my neurosurgeon to write a chapter called Into the Hands of God, where I described in layman's terms what it's like to let go of your loved one's hand, roll in a gurney, and go in for surgery. Mm -hmm. And after about three hours of interview, my husband told the good doctor aside and said, Doctor, I need to talk to you. You see, I've got a problem here now. It's now me saying, not this morning, 
not this afternoon, not tonight, not in the middle of the night. When it comes to intimacy, my wife is running me ragged. And the neurosurgeon looked at him, smiled, and put a, you know, high-fived him and said, nice problem to have, young man. I'm not going back into your wife's brain to fix it. And, um, you know, my kids are somewhat um, embarrassed that it's in there. I've had four miscarriages, three children. Sometimes I think they, we have, we've only been together seven times. But, you know, it's, yes. it, in the context of marriage, intimacy is beautiful, and I remind the kids of that. And it, there's, it's well told in the book, that whole scenario. <laughs> Um, but laughter is good. You know, it makes my husband blush. It makes me giggle and it's okay. You you have to have laughter. Um, that is a beautiful story too. That's awesome. Yeah. That, and you know, laughter diffuses so much. Um, sometimes Absolutely. It's such a great release. And then we have to, you know, we have to have it. And, 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 uh, cause life is so intense. Sometimes the laughter really does. It, it is healing. And, the, and like mm-hmm. you said, the giggles, the laughter can be very, very therapeutic and very healing. Well, you know, um, we have a friend on a, on a side note. Um, he was sharing, he went through um, just a really hard time um, with depression and just um, with, with the economic thing that went through. And he used a phrase that um, I just think is so powerful. He talked about he was, when he was in those moments, and, and this can apply to whatever the situation where you find yourself like just sitting in darkness and you, and you know all the right answers so many times, but the feelings are just real. And I'm just here and I don't even know how to feel. I don't even know what to say. I just need mm-hmm. hope. I don't even know. And I know there's always hope, but I don't even, I don't even feel it right now. And he used this phrase and he said, sometimes you just have to borrow hope from somebody else. And absolutely like that because it's like sometimes you just go, I can't even manufacture it. Can I borrow hope from you right now? And, you know, from our friends and from our family. And did you have those moments where you just had those friends around you? and You're like, I just have to borrow hope from you right now. And absolutely. And it wasn't only, you know, just family. I, I was borrowing hope from Jesus constantly and he's always there to give it. And, you know, one remarkable thing was I, as much as my family loved me, the fear and the doubt, I had to keep giving up to God and let him turn it into courage and trust. And I'll never forget this one day I walked through a grocery store and I was crying and praying at the same time. And my prayer was, God, will I grow old enough to meet my grandchildren? And I was afraid. And I'm walking through the store and I physically bump into a woman at the the chip section. And she looks at me and she says, honey, can I pray for you? I'm like, no, that's okay. I, I, I have my family praying for me. I've got friends and I've never had a, someone I don't know pray for me. She goes, no, honey, I, I, I want to pray for you. And her husband looked at her and he goes, you got ministering to do, you know, dear. And she said, no, I've, I've got praying to do. And so I looked at the cart and she, cause she told her husband, go get more yogurt. And I looked at the cart and I go, it's full of yogurt. Why on earth? Do you need more? And she said, because we're in the chip section and yogurt's across the end of the store, and that way my husband will leave and you and I will have some one-on-one time. You know, it's, it's girl talk right now. And so I shared my story, and she looked at me. And remember my prayer, God, will I grow old enough to meet my grandchildren? Mm. After sharing my story, she looked at me, and she said, I'm 72 years old. I have 14 grandchildren And 35 years ago, I had a tumor sitting on my carotid artery. Granted, mine was in my neck, not my brain. But when I tell you that I understand your fear of not growing old to meet your grandchildren, I get it. Ah. 
That I still have goosebumps to this day over that meeting, and it was something that God orchestrated. It's not a prayer I ever answer I could have ever outlined, and it does not mean that I will grow old enough to meet my grandchildren, but at that point in time, God met me in my state of fear and said, trust me, I love you. And I love what you said earlier about healing. Healing can be physical, but more importantly, it's spiritual. Mm -hmm. Do we have that daily walk with Jesus? Do we know who loved us first, and are we loving him back? And, you know, it is amazing how God does use people in our lives. Like that was like a divine appointment that, you know, in a grocery store. And he meets us where we're at. And I'm sure you've had so many experiences of of just where God just personally, you know, just showed up in such a profound way that you never would have experienced had you not had, you know, gone through all this. And we have those moments when you look back and you go, I would not have experienced that part of of Jesus, you know, had it not been mm-hmm. for that. So mm-hmm. I don't wish that I, I, you know, cause you have to look back and go, I have to remember where I, you know, I saw him personally. Well, we just have less than two minutes. And again, thank you okay. just for sharing your story and your heart and just your encouragement of hope with, with us, where can our listeners find your book and, um, and just anything you just want to leave, you know, with us, we have a one minute, so go for it. Okay. Um, You can find my book on my – you can go to my website, and there's a link to Amazon and Barnes & Noble. But you go to www, all one word, halo, H-A-L-O, found, F-O-U-N-D, hope, H-O-P-E dot com. And there's actually a video book trailer there, a five-minute book trailer. Um, Beautiful. And um, you can learn more about me. You can learn more about where I think hope can be found. And um, you can also contact me there. I have an author Facebook page. There's a link to that also on the website and a Twitter page as well. And my hope and prayer for every listener is that um, you would be reminded today in a small way with what I've shared about, you know, where you can always find hope no matter what you're going through. Um, He's right there. He loves you all. Thank you for being a part of this special program, Girlfriend It, the show dedicated to the most important woman you know, yourself. It's the show 